Joseph went from being the favored son to the pit and then to being a slave and then to being a prisoner. And compared to the dreams that God had placed in Joseph's heart, it looked like Joseph was moving backwards. But with each backward step, God was really moving Joseph forward closer to, not away from, but closer to the fulfillment of his dreams. I know y'all didn't think the sermon was going to start yet, but guess what? The sermon has already started, so you got you to gotta get on board with me today. Moses went from living in Pharaoh's palace to being in the wilderness, and it looked like a step backward, but it was really a step forward into preparation and into development and into his calling. David went from being anointed by Samuel and having this incredible victory over Goliath and living in the palace and playing the harp for King Saul. And the next moment he's dodging spears and hiding in caves and even living with the Philistines in enemy-controlled territory. It looked like David was headed backward away from his promise and away from his destiny and away from the very thing that God had in fact anointed him for. But really what was going on is God was leading David forward. Sometimes, Grace Church, God will send you on what looks like a detour in reverse, going backwards. But even though it appears to us that he is moving us in the wrong direction, I can tell you this morning, he's really moving you forward. Forward into restoration. Forward into the vision that Pastor talked to us about last Sunday. Forward into the blessing that Brother Wheeler talked to us about on Wednesday night. And it's so easy. It is so easy for us to get discouraged and become frustrated because what we see with our eyes isn't necessarily the spiritual reality. And even though it looks like we're going backwards, God is really moving us forward. As Pastor said last Sunday, God doesn't go backward. He doesn't lead you backward. However, you might take a backward step in order for him to move you forward. So with that context in mind, I want to preach to you for a little while this morning. And I want to preach to you a reach-based message. It's been a little while since we've heard a reach-based message, and this one will be a little bit different from what we've heard so far this year. We've heard about reaching out. We've heard about reaching up. But today, I want to talk to you about reaching back. So would you stand with me? This morning, in honor for the reading of God's word, thank you again for your worship. It set the right atmosphere. I believe God is going to do something here today. We're going to go to the book of Nehemiah this morning. Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, and then we'll read two more verses in Nehemiah 4. The Bible says this. It says, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hekeliah, and it came to pass... In the month Kislu, in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan, the palace, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. Tell me, tell me what's going on back home. 
And they said unto me, the remnant that are left. Everybody say remnant. The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. Everybody say reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Going to Nehemiah chapter 4 now, just two verses there, verses 1 and 2. Nehemiah 4 says this, But it came to pass that when Sanballat heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. And he spake before his brethren in the army of Samaria and said, What do these feeble Jews, what, what do these weaklings think they're doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? I want to talk to you for a little while this morning about reaching back for burned stones. Reaching back for burned stones. Would you pray with me? Lord, you know what you want to do in this place today and you know who it is that you're reaching for lord i pray that all of our hearts and minds and spirits would be open to receive your word lord we give you permission this morning to do what it is you want to do in our lives god help me help me to say it the way it needs to be said in jesus name god bless you this morning you can be seated It's an obscure text this morning, I know that, so I want to lay just a little bit of groundwork. I don't want y'all to get worried today, I'm going to preach. But if you'll bear with me for about five minutes, seven minutes here at the beginning, I, I want to lay a foundation and then I believe God has some specific things He wants to say to some people here today. To see where all of this started, you've really got to go back about 140 years before our scripture text that we just read. In 586 B.C., King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, laid siege to the city of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was the capital city of the nation of Judah. And Judah was the home of the two remaining tribes of Israel, Judah and Benjamin. But in spite of the warnings from the prophets and in spite of the calls to repentance, the nation of Judah remained sinful and they remained rebellious toward God and they continued to worship and make sacrifices to other gods and they neglected God's law. So God finally removed the hedge of protection and allowed enemy invaders in the form of foreign nations to come in and dominate Judah and take power. And so the siege of Jerusalem lasted about 18 to 30 months. We're not really sure how long, but in 586 B.C., the walls of Jerusalem were breached and the Babylonian army moved into that city and invaded and the walls of the city were broken down and the walls and the city were burned and Solomon's temple was looted and destroyed and then the best and the brightest people that were left alive in the city after the siege were taken away in captivity so that what was left in Jerusalem were ruined walls, ruined temple, and a small group of people called the remnant who were broken, they were wounded, they were disfigured, 
they were a ruined people. Now, at the time of our text, it's been 140 years since the fall of Jerusalem. And Babylon, who conquered Jerusalem, has now itself been conquered by the Persian Empire. And Nehemiah would have been born in Babylon. He was the son of one of those elites that had been taken from Judah over 100 years ago. Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the Persian king Artaxerxes. And people come to visit from Jerusalem and they talk to Nehemiah about what's really going on back home. And the state of affairs is a very sad one. And so he goes into the king's presence with a sad countenance. And King Artaxerxes sees Nehemiah and he can tell there's something not right with you today, Nehemiah. What's, what's going on with you? And he talks to the king about how desperate the situation is in his homeland and back in the city of Jerusalem. And Nehemiah is able to convince the king to allow him to return to Jerusalem for a time and rebuild the city walls. Now that's a big deal. It's a big deal for the king to allow him to rebuild the walls. It's a big deal because what it means for Nehemiah and his people is a change in status. There's just been a level change that's happened here. It's a, it's a vote of confidence and it's a sign of, of trust and favor whenever the king gives you permission to build again. Now the walls of the city were significant in those times. Walls proclaimed the strength of a city. Walls were symbolic of power. They were they, they meant independence, and they, meet, and they meant freedom, and they meant security. And that's why we see so much emphasis in Scripture placed on describing the walls of cities. Cities like the city of Jericho and Joshua 6 that actually had two walls. There was an outer wall that was 13 feet thick, and then there was a second wall, an inner wall, that was six and a half feet thick. We know that the city of Jerusalem had substantial walls that were built up during the times of King David and King Solomon. Babylon itself had massive walls that were 14 miles long on each side and 300 feet high and, and 25 feet thick. Babylon had massive walls. And then we read about a city in the book of Revelation called the New Jerusalem. And it has some pretty amazing walls itself that are 200 feet thick. I can't wait to see the walls of that city. But here's what I want you to get today is that a city with strong and complete walls is a powerful city. It's a protected city. It has prestige and it has value. But more importantly, it's an independent city. It's a city that is in control of its own destiny. It's a city where the people living there can have hope and can have confidence of a future. It's the uh, type of city where people have a sense of purpose. But in Scripture, the inverse of that is also true. Because the broken state of a city's walls and the broken state of the people living in that city are intimately connected. See, in the ancient world, a city without walls, is completely open, is completely vulnerable. They have no defense. They have no protection. An unwalled city is always a second-rate city. An unwalled city 
is always going to be a backwater town. If there's anything of value in an unwalled city, it can be so easily taken away because there's no defense to stop it. So to live in an unwalled city is to live in constant tension and under constant stress because the people there never know when they might be attacked again. They never know when the next thing of value might be taken away. The people living in an unwalled city live in constant fear. And something else I want you to realize this morning is that the temple, the place of worship, could even be rebuilt. But it could never be made beautiful. And it could never fulfill its design function, Brother Dave, because anything that was in the temple could be taken away. For those living in a city with broken walls, looking forward into the future with hope or with faith would seem pointless. It would be an exercise in futility to look into the future with confidence because the walls are broken down. And it's this setting where we see Nehemiah in our text going into a city without walls. His Jerusalem. And it's a city in disgrace. Nehemiah 1 and 3, we read it earlier. It says, And they said unto me, The remnant that are left in captivity there in the province, are in great affliction and reproach. Reproach. It's a Hebrew word. It actually means resting in a condition of shame. Resting in a condition of disgrace, reproach. The people were living in reproach. They were living in disgrace. There was nothing of value left in the city. The enemy could come in and take whatever they wanted. The people were so broken and so destitute that they couldn't even worship. The temple, you see, had been rebuilt 70 years before. They had rebuilt the place of worship. They had a place of worship in their lives, but they couldn't really worship God the way that they really wanted to because the brokenness of the walls prevented authentic worship. And every day, every day, they lived with the evidence of their past failure in rubble heaps all around them. Burned stones, broken walls, rubbish heaps, the remains of what used to be, the broken pieces of their past were a constant and mocking reminder of what they used to have, of how great they used to be, and how God used to be with them, but not anymore. And it's into this reproach and into this disgrace that comes Nehemiah, attempting to rebuild the wall, trying to bring back what was lost So long ago, trying to build again the power and the prestige and the independence and the sense of destiny and the sense of hope and confidence in the future for the city and its people. I wonder if anybody's hearing me today. So in comes Nehemiah. And what does he have to rebuild the walls? What does Nehemiah have? at his disposal to try to build again 
Well, we know from Scripture that Nehemiah had secured a letter from King Artaxerxes, and that letter gave him permission to rebuild the gates and to rebuild the walls. Can I just stop and tell somebody here today, I'm feeling this in my spirit, God has already given you permission. The king has already written your letter of permission that says it's okay for you to build again. You're not waiting today on the king to give you permission. He's waiting on you to activate your faith. The letter of permission gave Nehemiah access to the king's forest so he could cut trees for lumber for the gates. But where did Nehemiah get the stones for the wall? Because the letter from the king says nothing, nothing at all about cutting new stone. Nehemiah didn't have permission for that, but that's a dilemma because without the stones, the breaches in the wall couldn't be rebuilt. So Nehemiah's only option was very simple, but so profound and full of meaning for us here today. Because what Nehemiah was going to have to do was to use the stones that were already there. The burned over stones from the previous wall, the stones that had been burned and knocked down by the enemy 140 years before, the burned stones from the rubbish heap was what Nehemiah had. The burned and broken stones that lay in piles all around the city. God set it up so that Nehemiah had to turn to the painful reminders of the past and the trash heap, if you will, of the past if he wanted to build again. you got to hear me today. Nehemiah was going to build power and protection and independence and destiny and hope not from new stones, but from the old, burned-over, rubbish-heap remains. Nehemiah had to go digging up the past. Nehemiah was going to have to sift through the remains of what used to be. Nehemiah was going to have to get his hands dirty with the charred, broken-up, painful pieces of a used-to-be life. God wants somebody here to know it's time. It's, you've been waiting. You've been waiting on the word that it's time to build again. Can I tell you, God's speaking it in the spirit realm today. It's time for you to build again. You've already got permission. It's time for you to move forward. And it's time for somebody in here today to go to work. Now, I know, I know past failures have sidelined you. I know past hurts have shaken your confidence. They've shaken your confidence in yourself, and they've even shaken your confidence in God. Maybe you messed something up. Maybe you didn't handle it right. Maybe, maybe you got weak, and you messed up again. Maybe you got hurt by a church and it confused you about God, and it confused you about God's people, and it confused you about your role in the kingdom. Maybe you made a huge mistake and you haven't been able to recover. Maybe, just, it's, maybe it's just life for you. 
and the passage of time and the disappointments that have come your way that have worn you down and you've been out of commission. You've been in a place of weakness. You've been in a place of survival. In survival mode, trying to keep the broken pieces covered up and and out of the way and not a distraction. And you're doing a pretty good job of keeping it all covered up and out of the way, but you're not making any progress in life. Oh, I hope I'm talking to somebody today. You know what it's like to live in reproach. And you know what it's like to live in disgrace to walk through the streets of disgrace every day and to pass by those broken down places of your life. You know what it feels like to walk by those piles of broken pieces that have been burned over every day and to look at the remainders of what used to be and what you used to have. And you're thinking it's over. It's over. You don't come back from this. You, you, it's been too long. And there's no way that that God's going to be able to do anything with what I've got left. I'd better just accept it. This is the way that I'm going to be. This is my reality from now on. There's no way that what's left of my life could amount to anything. But I want you to hear me today. That's not the voice of your God. That is not the voice of your Creator. That's not the voice of the Savior who loves you. God says, God says, it's not over. I'm not done. And you're not finished. And you're not hopeless. There is power. There is provision. There is a sense of destiny. There is hope for you. But you are not going to build it with new stones. Mm, now you got to get this part. Some of you are getting on board, but you're not going to build it with new stones. No, 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 no. See, God wants you to know Him as the miracle-working God that He really is. God's saying to you today, I want to work a miracle in the most broken places of your life. The holes. Sister Katie... The gaps, the wide open places where you're most vulnerable, those wounds that go so deep into who you are that you can't imagine living without them, the places that have caused you the most shame and the places that feel like a reproach to you, those are the places that God wants to touch and work in today. And hear the voice of the Lord today. He's not going to send you out to labor and strive and work to try to find some new stone to build your life on. But instead, God says, I am going to revive the stones from the rubbish heap of your life. And I am going to have you reach back to the past and what used to be. And I'm going to have you handle those broken pieces again. And even though it might be painful, I've got a purpose. Somebody hear me today. God never wastes a hurt. He never wastes a hurt. Even if it's a hurt of your own devising, there's always a purpose for your pain. And He is so powerful. And He loves you so much today that what was a reproach to you and what is a disgrace to you and what you thought was burned over and what you thought was useless, God is going to work a miracle with before you leave this house this morning. 
I don't know how many of you believe it. Listen. The stone on the walls of Jerusalem were most likely limestone. There's two types of limestone quarries in the areas around Jerusalem. Limestone's a great building material. It can be shaped with precision, and it allows for very tight-fitting joints and, and stability. But one of the problems with limestone is that it loses its strength when it's been burned. Charred limestone, burned limestone is brittle. It loses its ability to be shaped and refined, and you can't make those tight-fitting pieces anymore. As a matter of fact, if you get the fire hot enough, limestone will crumble into powder. The stone that Nehemiah had to work with, not only had it been lying there for over a hundred years, but this is my opinion. It's not Scripture, it's just my opinion. But having been burned, those stones would have been useless to him as a building material. We see it pointed out even in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 2. We read this earlier this morning. It says, And he, Sanballat, spake before his brethren in the army of Samaria and said, What do these feeble Jews think they're doing? What do these weaklings think they're doing today? Will they fortify themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they make an end in a day? Will they? Will they? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish which are burned? Even Sanballat knew the futility of trying to rebuild with stones that had been burned, so he mocked them. He made fun of them. Just like your enemy is making fun of you today. Just like the thought strongholds in your mind are telling you today that it can't be done and that it's pointless and that there's no use. But listen to me. It wasn't up to the people to revive the stones. It wasn't up to Nehemiah to revive the stones. That was not their response. I'm about to set somebody free in this house today. That was not their responsibility. They dug them up and they placed them back into position. But God is the one who revived the stones and made them strong again. Oh, come on, somebody. It's not up to you. It's not up to you to revive it. It's not up to you to breathe life back into it. That's not your responsibility. It's up to God. It's up to Him to breathe the life back into it. It is the unwritten miracle of Nehemiah's wall. God brought back to life what they positioned in faith. They positioned it in faith and God Brought it back to life. God took, God took what was burned over. God took what was broken down. God took what was the disgraceful, reproachful remains of the past. God took what was weak. God took what was useless. God took what was unfit. Come on, somebody, and revived it. 
God gives it value again. God gives it stability again. God gives it strength again. God makes it whole again. Folks, the pieces of your past are not worthless whenever you put them in the hands of God. I want somebody here to start building again. I want somebody here to reach back, to reach back, to reach back to the broken down remainders of failure and in faith place those burned and broken pieces and let Him revive burned stones, useless stones into power and into destiny and into hope. I've got to hurry today. There's not enough time. But you know you won't be the only one to have walked that road. You won't be the only one who has to go back and dig up the past and place it in faith and hope that God will revive it. Abraham had a promise for a son that never came. And he tried to make it happen on its own and just made a bigger mess of it than what it was to begin with. And God said, no, Abraham, I'm not going to give you a new wife. The promise isn't going to come to you through a means of your own devising. I'm not going to have you go out and labor and try to make this happen. But the barren wife, the hopeless wife, the disgraced wife, the woman that you have a history with, that's going to be the means by which I bring the promise to pass in your life. Jonah thought he was finished. God told him to go to Nineveh, preach repentance, and he goes in the absolute opposite direction, survives a storm, cast overboard, doesn't drown, spends three days in the belly of a great fish. And I can only imagine Jonah in that place of confinement. Who's confined here today? Who feels like your hands are tied? Who is it It's sitting here today and you feel like you just can't move out of the place that you're in? I want you to, I want you to know what God said to Jonah. You think you're done. You think you're over. You think you messed up. But look at what it says in Jonah chapter 3. It says, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time. The second time. And said, Arise, Go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid you. Jonah, I'm going to call you again. I want you to get up and go do what I told you to do the first time. I'm not done with you yet, Jonah. This is your second calling. And my second calling to you is the exact same thing that it was the first time that I called you. Y'all not hearing me today. The second calling came after Jonah's mistake. The second calling came after his disgrace. The second calling came after the wound had been done. It's the same calling and it's going out today. This is somebody's second calling today. God's not done. Thank you. You can be seated. There is still divine destiny for you do you have the faith that he can revive the burned stones in your life do you have the faith that you can build again that you can move forward once God touches the pieces of your past that broken relationship that you've been thinking about this morning 
that neglected calling that you think about as soon as you wake up in the morning. That shameful mistake that haunts you at night as you're trying your best to go to sleep. That missed opportunity that you look back on from those years ago and said, if only I'd made a different decision. Your failed business that you spent years laboring in, but it just didn't work out. That unfulfilled promise from God that He's spoken to you more than once, but it still hasn't been birthed into your life. Well, that's the burned over and charred stone that God wants to revive and to build your destiny on. Jeremiah 29 and 11, we know this one. And he says, I know, I know the plans that I have for you. And they are plans to prosper you and not to harm you, but plans to give you a hope and to give you a future. Let me say it one more time. God's not done. You're not done. You're not without hope. If only somebody here today would stop grieving. I thank you for the response, but you got to hear this. Somebody needs to stop grieving over what you lost and start reaching for what's left. If you will reach for what's left, then the grief over what you lost will be replaced by what God builds in your life. Come on. If you will reach... If you will reach today, I'm challenging somebody. If you will reach for burned over stones and reach back for the pieces of what's left and have the faith to build again, then God will work the miracle of restoration. I believe it. I believe it. I believe it. Y'all stand with me this morning. I know it's been a little different today. Some of you have gotten on board, and I really appreciate that, but this is what we've been working toward this morning. What's about to happen here in the next few minutes in these altars, I hope somebody responds. I hope somebody owns the word that God's spoken to you today. So how do we start? Brother Wheeler, thank you. How do we start? Where do we begin? How do we begin to reach back? How do we start that process of restoration in our life? How do we, how do we build again in faith with the pieces of what's left over? How do we position the pieces of our past so that God can revive what we have left? Folks, like always, like everything, it starts with Jesus. I don't know what kind of deep and theological answer you were looking for today, but that's as deep and theological as it gets. It's not cliche, and it's not a cute ending. It always begins at Calvary. It always begins with you getting close to God, you getting close to a God who knows exactly what it's like to be broken. I want somebody to come close to him this morning and, and look at his broken body. 
I want you to draw close and, and see the stripes on his back and the nails in his hands and look real close into those bruised and swollen eyes. Look at the thorns in his brow. See the spear in his side. He knows what it's like to be broken. I'm asking you today to get danger close to a Savior who knows what it's like to reach back. To reach back for what used to be. To reach back for for broken and burned over remains. I'm asking you to get close to Jesus today. Get scary close to Jesus The same God that died on the cross who used to walk with His creation in the cool of the evening who had intimacy and friendship with His favorite creation only to see it broken apart and destroyed by sin. I'm asking somebody today to reach back and get get close to Jesus who knows what it's like to mourn over the broken and burned over remains of potential. That's what some of you are grieving over today is the loss of so much potential. Well, he knows what it's like to reach back. He knows what it's like because he took off the glory of heaven and he came back to walk among us. And in flesh, he walked with us. And all the time, all the time, he was reaching Reaching, reaching for the broken, reaching for the disgraced, reaching for those in reproach so that the hope could be restored from broken shambles. Calvary, Calvary didn't look like a step forward. Calvary didn't look like a miracle. Calvary didn't look like a restoration. Calvary didn't look like a revival and new life, but that's exactly what it was. And that's exactly what it still is today. Jesus isn't asking anybody here today to do something that He hasn't already been done. He's already been there. He knows what it's like. And all He wants you to do is to bring your broken, burned-over stones to Him. He knows how to restore it. He knows exactly what to do with it. He knows how to revive it. He knows how to breathe life into it again. You were given a stone at the beginning of this message today. I hope you know by now what it represents. Would you take that and hold it in your hand? Will you bring your stone to Jesus? Will you bring that broken, burned over stone to Him? Will you reach back in faith and start the process of restoration that begins with drawing close to Calvary It really is a step forward today. I I really thought about having you come and and lay your stone around the altar. But what I want you to do is I want you to just hold it in your hand and bring it to Him today. Just, Just keep it. Is there anybody here 
Is there anybody here that says, Jason, I've listened to you this morning, and with every word, with every word, I've thought more about what used to be in my life and how God really wants to revive it and bring it back to life again, but I just don't see how. Can I just challenge you today? Don't worry about the how and instead focus on the who. Because if you know who, you don't need to know how. All I'm asking somebody to do is to take your broken piece. Take your burned over stone. Draw close to Jesus. God, this is who I am. This is what I have. And I don't know how. But it doesn't matter today because I know you. Come on, Grace Church. Would you pray with me today as they begin to sing? Would you pray with me today? I'm asking somebody to make the commitment. Yeah, I'm asking you to step out and say, Jason, it's me. Jason, it's my broken piece. And I've heard the word of God today. I've got to bring it. Is there anybody willing to step out and say, Jesus, here's my broken piece today. Here's the thing that used to be. And I'm going to give it to you. I don't know how you're going to work your miracle. And I don't know how hope and destiny are going to come from what I've got left. But I'm not going to focus on what was broken. I'm going to focus on you and focus on who you are. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Oh, let's gather together and pray this morning. Ministry team, help me today. There's people here today that needed to hear this. There's people here today been waiting. They've been waiting on this word for the king to tell them that it's okay. It's time to build again. Come on, somebody. It's time to build again. You've been waiting on permission. He's telling you, here it is. But you don't have to go out and work and toil to scrape up something new. I'm going to revive what you've already been through and use it for your destiny and your hope. Oh, hallelujah. Pray with somebody this morning. Pray with somebody. Let him hear you. Talk to him. We want to thank all of you for being here at Grace Church today. Thank you for responding to the Word of God the way that you have today. The challenge is for how you're going to live tomorrow. Whenever it comes time to position that stone in faith, whenever it happens again next week, and you have to position that stone in faith and dig something else up from the past, The restoration isn't up to you. The miracle isn't up to you. You position it and you let Him work the miracle. God bless you today. I hope before you leave today you'll shake somebody's hand and just speak a word of encouragement. Speak a word of encouragement to somebody. Let them know that there's hope.
God bless you today. In Jesus' name.